Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Holt. I'm a functional medicine nutritionist with a feisty attitude and over a decade of clinical experience. I work with women all over the world through my online programs, and I'm also the founder of the Functional Nutrition Academy, a 12-month practitioner mentorship where I help other nutrition pros level up with functional medicine methodologies. I've got a bone to pick with diet culture and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. Hey guys, we are back and we're very excited for this show because we're interviewing my dear friend Alicia Joy Styles. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I've been um so, <laughs> so I've been like really excited about this but also kind of nervous because I was overthinking it and I was so nervous that I was going to say pronounce her name wrong, Alicia like Alicia Silverstone. What? Yeah. Like it was like this weird thing I did to my, like psyched myself out all day. Even though we've known each other for a decade, I was like, I'm not going to be able to say her name on it. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's just so random. It's really weird. Um, just a heads up to all the listeners out there. We're having some audio issues. We know it's happening. We're trying to troubleshoot. Um, yeah. It's not going to be like this forever. So, like Kyle's been quiet on some and I've been la- – so it's I know it's a little bit wonky, so just bear with us as we figure this out. It's not like we have like a team of like tech, <laughs> no. tech people behind no. us. It's just like dumb and dumber trying to figure this one out. Like <laughs> Lloyd and Harry. So true. So true. <laughs> yeah. Kyle even had a bowl cut at one point in her life, so it really fits. <laughs> it really, it really fits. Yep. It really does. Um, before we dive into all that is Alicia, I want to just let you guys know that I'm going to be in Medfield, Mass. This coming Saturday, uh, it's April 21st from 12 to 3, teaching my deep detox workshop. Um, wicked excited about it. I just taught it a couple of days ago and it was just so awesome. I got really great feedback, super fun. So I know we've got some Boston-based listeners and um, I'd love to meet you guys in person. So come check it out. It's at the Hawthorne Farm Retreat Center. It's like a little mini retreat. Um, Take some time for yourself. All the information is up on my website. I will link to it in the show notes, but I would really love for you guys to come out to that one. Now, without much further ado, I want to, first I'll say, Alicia, we met, like, I think it was 10 years ago or so. It was when I was in, yeah, when I was in school with Kyle for nutrition and I was like such a mental case. I was just, you know, I've talked about it on the show before. I was just under a lot of stress and my mom like casually bought me a gift certificate to this meditation school she's like I think you might need this (laughs) (laughs) maybe I do so that's where I met Alicia and it was cool because you were um I was studying nutrition in school and I think you had just graduated from the Institute for Integrative Nutrition which at the time like you actually had to go to New York City to to study correct yes that yeah that's correct yep it's now oh, an wow. online program. Yeah, so totally different um, like than back in the day. And you were uh, seeing health coaching clients really primarily for emotional eating, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that's right. 
That yeah. was kind of like your wheelhouse. Yeah. So anyway, we we hit it off. We became fast friends. And the rest, as I say, is history. Here we are <laughs> 10 years later. Awesome. Um, so today's show, you know, we've talked a lot about food restriction on the show, right? Like we've definitely tore that apart quite a bit. But the flip side of that very same coin is overeating, binge eating, emotional eating. And there are so many factors when it comes to emotional overeating. You know, sometimes it is a physiological thing where we're restricting throughout the day. And then at night, we turn into that like Chris Farley Saturday Night Live skit, like, lay off me, I'm starving. (laughs) We we eat everything that's not nailed down because our bodies are just freaking hungry for nutrition. But... (laughs) But it can also go a lot deeper than just the food. And I think that's that's some of the stuff that we plan to get into a little bit with, with Alicia on today's show. So I'll introduce you more professionally, Alicia. Um, Alicia is on a mission of authenticity, pleasure, and empowerment. Through personal and professional exploration, she has discovered the magnitude of importance that self-love has on our overall happiness. There is no perfect picture for how our lives should be. There is no weight, no job, no relationship, no material object that could satisfy us the way that our own love can. As a woman's empowerment coach, she has the unique opportunity to help women explore their inner truths, to identify what excites them, and to clear what emotional blocks that might be standing in the way of fully expressing who they are. And as someone who has worked with Alicia, I can back all of that Mm -hmm. up 100%. It is through honesty, compassion, intuition, and humor that she is able to create the space for her clients' self-exploration and personal growth. While obtaining her BS in psychology, Alicia deepened her understanding of personal motivators, human sexuality, and how gender intercepts us, both socially and psychologically. Her work as a holistic health coach reinforced her instincts that self-love is an intricate part of overall happiness. In addition to being a lifelong learner, pleasure junkie, public speaker, and writer, she is the mother of two wild souls and is newly married. And I think we just dropped a bomb. <laughs> totally. That was like a, uh, an announcement because we eloped. And so <sighs> some of the people listening to this won't actually know that. But I thought it was a cool way to throw that in. That was the trip <laughs> that you were just on? Yes. Yes, oh, in Mexico. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. Congrats. Thank Yay. you. Thank you. So, yeah, Um, that was also a mouthful to say after sipping my white wine. (laughs) All right, Alicia, so let's let's hear it, you know, straight from the horse's mouth. Tell us exactly what you do and also tell us what led you to this work, because when I met you, you were nutrition coaching and now you're working a little bit more with relationships. So I'd love to hear if you if you see a link between the two and how maybe our relationships can impact our eating habits, if there is a link. Awesome. Yes, I would love to talk about all of that. Um, Thank you for the intro. And I know it did sort of feel like a tongue teaser when you were saying it. Uh, But (laughs) I think really, I've always been evolving. So I've been doing some variation of coaching work for the last 10 plus years. And I've always let my practice be a little bit fluid in the sense that I'm following what my clients need and want and what most excites me. I think that the work I'm doing now, though, is really what I've been working towards all along. The driving force between all of my coaching has been authenticity. So I'm 
passionate about helping people find their truth, whatever that truth might be, without the judgments. I do think that when we can love ourselves exactly as we are, that's when that magic begins. So my work revolves around women's empowerment, which is what you said, and I'm creating this safe space for women to explore their inner truths and step into that power inside of themselves. And I believe that there's a huge need for that now. I think as women, we're super disconnected from ourselves. We're burnt out, we're stressed out, we're touched out. We receive all these messages about how we're supposed to look, act, and we end up feeling like we are not worth our own time and attention and love. So when I work with clients, like first we're looking at this primary reason that they came to me. And a lot of the times I'm working around relationships, like their intimate relationships. But it's never just the one thing. We end up peeling away all these layers to really look at the heart of what's going on for them. So none of my clients that come to me, these aren't broken people. They're not people that have something wrong with them. They come to me because they're looking for more. They know that there's that potential for like more joy and more freedom, more sensuality, more intimacy, just more depth. And that longing for more, that's what we're following in with my coaching clients. So to me, this work that I'm doing now is such an obvious transition from the work I was doing as a nutrition coach. And it's funny because I think, and you can both probably relate to this, I think we attract the clients that need what we have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and sometimes like they, we attract the clients that need us to remember what we need to remember too. Mm. Like, oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, yeah there are greatest teachers at times. And so when I was nutrition coaching, nobody wanted to talk about food. Like none of my clients ever wanted to talk about food. I would be like, hey, kale is great. And they would be <laughs> like, and then they would be like, well, I haven't had sex with my husband in a year. And I would just freeze and I'd be like, well, so do you want to talk about that instead? Like, is that, that seems to be more pressing here. So I realized that, you know, a lot of my clients, the food stuff was just this band-aid for whatever was going on in their lives. And as someone myself who medicated through food, through emotional eating for a long time in my childhood and early adulthood, I really connected with that part of my clients. And the fact is that we are whole people. We have to be willing to look at our lives from all angles and address the issues that aren't nourishing us. So whether that's food, our careers, our relationships, our sexuality, our overall health, all of it, it all intercepts to make us who we are. Yeah. That's wow. Very, very <laughs> similar to functional medicine. I mean, you just can't yeah. look at one piece. It's you kind of have to have to dive into everything. And when you started off by talking about authenticity, and I feel like that word is, it's like sort of a buzzword right now, especially when it comes to to women and just like the whole women's movement. Um, yeah. And I feel like because it is a buzzword, it gets like a little bit lost in the shuffle. Like people are like, okay, I've been inundated with this word, but don't actually know what it means. But I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think you kind of summed it up in that like it's – it's looking at perhaps areas of your life that aren't necessarily working for you and 
maybe putting some more attention on those so you feel like you're living more of a complete life? Do you think that could be a way to describe it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I feel like, you know, we're very quick to look at the parts of our lives that are going well. We're very quick to like showcase those parts of our lives, right? I mean, social media is just like, we just put that out there. Like, oh, look, these are the good parts. But we're not really looking at the parts that aren't working or we're not willing to share those. And that's really what this is about. It's like being being willing to be vulnerable and being willing to be like a little bit of a mess at times so that you can have that more authentic experience. Because the truth is no one is ever happy all the time. Nothing is always great all the time. Like there's plateaus and there's peaks. And so it's sort of accepting that whole picture, even the parts that like aren't necessarily what you love about your life. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. And you know, I will say that my most engaged social media posts are always the one where I'm like, I'm a disaster today, yeah. folks. Yeah. You know, people, people are like, love it. they claw right out of the woodwork and they're like, oh my God, me too, me too. And, you know, people are like, thank you for doing this. I'm like, I don't really know any other way. You know, you ask mm-hmm. my husband, I wear my heart on my sleeve. I am like, just it's all out there it is all out there there's nothing private about me or my life but I just it's that's how I process things like if I'm going through something I need to like put it out there and that certainly wasn't wasn't the case for a long time I mean talking about you know disordered eating and emotional eating I that was like such a big piece of like it's just so such a big piece of like my shame right like I I was so ashamed about the way that I ate like a crazy person behind closed doors and mm-hmm. that wasn't something I was willing to share for a long time and I think it ate me alive because I wasn't able to like put that you know put that part of me on blast so to speak and once I was able to shine a light on it I think Brene Brown says and I'm totally paraphrasing here but something about like shame cannot live in the light or something like that and yeah. it's like once you're able to turn the light on those like pieces of yourself that you think are broken and messed up it doesn't hold so much weight anymore and it gives you an opportunity to connect to the people around you that that are feeling the exact same way. It shouldn't be such an isolating thing. We all feel this way. Yeah. Uh, completely. And I think the isolation is really what um, what gives it so much strength. You know, it's just that it's like the more quiet we are and the more we think that we're alone in our struggles – the more power those struggles have over us. It's like once we have that camaraderie, it's just, it's not so scary anymore. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. Um, so I just recently kind of met you, Alicia. Yeah. Um, I, knew, I knew you through Erin. I knew that you guys had both completed a training on developing your intuition, several years ago and I knew that you two would kind of use these skills that you learned on each other and were always like spot on with the energy that you would read in a situation that the other one was going through and you know speaking of vulnerability and kind of shame and letting your mess be known um, this past year has just been an incredible struggle for me I left an unhealthy marriage and am now going through the process of divorce I moved into a new place for six months and I'm moving again in a couple weeks somewhere more permanent I've had to juggle grief and sadness and overwhelm while working full-time going to school trying to start a business 
And all of it was happening far away from where my family and best friends live up north. Um, There was a solid month this winter where I did nothing but binge watch Netflix, eat and drink wine. No school, no socializing, no business scheming, not even working out. I just stayed in this deep hole I had dug for myself because it was just too much to handle. And then I started feeling really, really guilty about it all. Like I was lazy because I wasn't doing all the other things that I should be doing. So I decided to get a reading from Alicia. It wasn't my first reading, just my first with her. And I actually got a reading from my mom too, who was in between jobs for the first time in decades and was really starting to go stir crazy. So um, anyone that is, you know, ooh, a reading um, pro tip, if you do get a reading from Alicia, record it on your phone so you can play it back as much as you want it that you will want to. So anyway, we did this reading through Skype and I can't even tell everyone how amazing it is to be so stuck in your life and have someone be able to see things without all the mess clouding their vision. Now, this is not to say that readings are all rainbows and sunshine, but it can really set you on the right path or reassure you that you're already on the right path, which is what it did for me. It was about recognizing that I wasn't actually hiding my head in the sand by taking a break from everything during the shitstorm that had become my life. It was self-preservation and self-care and what I needed to do at that time. I wasn't taking a detour away from dealing with things. It was all actually a part of the process, not fixing, not planning, not hurrying up and getting through it all, but just sitting with the, you know, uncomfortable feelings and, you know, the feelings of not knowing how you're going to get through it all, but just honoring that for right now, just going through the day-to-day stuff was enough. Um, Sometimes we need someone else to give us permission to slow down and pause. And I needed that. I needed someone who wasn't in my life to tell me that this isn't something I can rush through and wrap it up in a neat little bow. And everything that you talked about, Alicia, has been spot on since. You you even saw my mom finding a new job sooner rather than later, and that it would be different than anything she had done before, but a really good fit for her life two years away from retirement. And that is exactly what happened. Soon after the reading, she got a totally different job than what she had been doing. It fits her so well and ended up being the best schedule and work-life balance that she's ever had before. So with all of that said, I would love for you to talk a bit about what prompted you to get training around this and how you would explain this work to someone who has never had a reading before, how you incorporate this work in this, you know, intuition into the work that you do. And I would also love to hear um, if you have any thoughts on how these intuitive readings could possibly help someone struggling with emotional eating. Awesome. Well, first of all, I just want to say thank you for sharing all of that. It's so, it's not easy to put the messy parts of our lives out there. And as someone who also went through a divorce a few years ago, I can very much relate to everything you said. And it ties into that idea that socially we're not allowed to take time. There's 
all this pressure for us to get back to normal, that we end up feeling guilty when our grief takes us on a longer journey than we might have hoped or what is deemed socially acceptable. Um, and I'm just happy for you to share that because as we just said, it's like that thing of just putting it out there. There's a lot of people that can relate so strongly, um, me being one of them, to to your experience. So Thanks. Yeah, and I'm also just so happy to hear that everything worked out so nicely for your mom. Like, yeah, that's, I know. That's it was awesome. crazy. It was yeah, crazy. that's that is great. So, um, the intuition training it was it was really such an obvious step for me. I grew up very empathetic, so I felt everyone's emotions, and I took on a lot of outside energy. So I was a super angry kid because I was like picking up all this all these issues in my household um issues with my parents marriage and I was angry and then I found myself as I grew up in relationships where that quality that empathetic quality was taken advantage of so the tra- the training for me wasn't really about understand it was more about understanding what I was already seeing and feeling and creating boundaries for all of that energy that I was picking up on. I feel like before I did that training, I had a lot more anxiety because I was carrying around all this stuff that wasn't mine. So I use my intuition in all of the work that I do. So it helps me relate so much deeper to my clients. And it also just, it cuts through to the heart of the issue that we're discussing. And the difference between using my intuition during a coaching session and doing a formal reading is basically who's talking more. So it's a similar process, but in coaching, I'm giving my clients the floor. So there's a lot more like gentle prompting and questions to help them uncover their truths. And for me, that quality. It's just, it's about understanding emotions and personal motivators. So it gives me more confidence when I'm working with clients to know that we're in the right direction to get to that heart of the issue. And in a reading, whether it's with cards, like we did with you, a card reading, or just a reading without cards, it's more about looking at a topic of choice and then explaining the energy around it. So with your reading, Kyle, I had no indication of your backstory. I didn't know what you were going through. I was just looking at the energy of what you needed at that time and validating that process that you were going through. So the two are really similar, but they're different. And I think that coaches and support professionals like listening to their instincts, picking up little cues and energy left behind from their clients. It's it's what allows us to be more present and helpful. I'm not sure that that's a great explanation. I feel like yeah. energy reading is something that's it's hard to explain because it's also a little bit different for everyone that does it. So No, I think that I think that was a great way of explaining Good. and also important to note that you did not have this huge backstory on me yeah, at no. all. I mean, this was just the first time we met was through Skype and Yeah. And it was yeah, you gave me exactly what I needed was just it just was reassurance. That's awesome. And I definitely think like to answer your last question there about 
if intuitive reading could benefit someone who's struggling with emotional eating, I would say absolutely. Because what it does is it takes the emphasis off of the action and it looks more towards the cause of what's going on. So a lot of the times people who are struggling with emotional eating are consumed with controlling the emotional eating. They think things like, if only I had more willpower, or if I didn't have these foods in the house, I could stop this behavior. But emotional eating, it's just a symptom of something more. So really reading the situation, we can look at it more objectively, and hopefully for that reason, we can start to deconstruct what's causing the emotional eating in the first place. So it's definitely a good good way to go. Yeah, that sounds it. Alicia, I loved what you said when you at the beginning of that, where like socially we're not allowed to take time. Like we put this, we yeah. put this like cap on grief. Like uh, Kyle, like you said, like everything's supposed to be like packaged up with a neat little bow in a mm-hmm. certain period of time. And Alicia, so we mentioned the the app Voxer that Kyle and I are crazy about, <laughs> and Alicia's on the Vox train too. So like I'm always we're always boxing back and forth, like reading different things for each other, and one thing that you've really helped me work out recently is that you know there's a little shift in find family dynamics and um I was having a really hard time with the amount of uh, momming I had to do versus the amount of work that I wanted to do and it was a doozy it was a real doozy and you know the the, the message that I kept getting from people that love me I want to be really clear people that love me and care about me but they kind of just wanted me to like move through the process like they were like well, just, you know, don't let this eat you alive or, um, you know, focus on all the good in your life. Like be grateful for everything you have rather than focusing on what you don't have. And it was frustrating because I was able to see, well, like, no, 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 this is just a grief process that I'm going through. This is something major happened and I have to, you know, I have to move through it, right? Like I need to experience these emotions and move through it. But I was able to see how uncomfortable that made everybody else. And that was like a really tough thing because I wanted to package it up for everybody else, but knowing like I'm still feeling this stuff. And so Alicia, you you really, really helped me um, work through that. And it kind of, you know, it, it really gets me thinking about, how do I say this? Like women in our culture, I guess, like we're, we're kind of told that our end game, the thing that we're all simultaneously striving for is the husband, the house, and the kids, right? And then once you get that, once you get the husband, the house, and the kids, you're supposed to be satisfied with that. And I think we can we can extrapolate the same thing to weight into like what our bodies look like, right? We're told exactly what we're supposed to look like, either through our society, through our media, whatever. And so we're constantly on this quest to get the thing that we're basically trained to want. And we can get really hyper-focused on the weight and the food, thinking, if I can just fix that, then everything will be okay. And we hold happiness and we hold fulfillment at in an arm's length by thinking, well, when I get X, Y, and Z, whether it's the perfect body or the husband, the house, and the kids, then I'll be happy. But if and when you get those things and you're not happy – then something's wrong with you, right? Like that's what we tell ourselves. Well, something must be wrong with me. Something must be broken with me. We think like I have all the things I'm supposed to want. Why am I not happy? And many of us who have been through the ringer with the whole eating body image stuff know 
know so deeply that once you achieve that quote unquote ideal body, the happiness doesn't just rush in like we're expecting. Our lives don't just simply improve because we lose weight or we look a certain way or we've checked all the societal boxes. I know that when I was at my skinniest, I was like an emotional wreck. I certainly was not happy. And on top of that, I have the husband, the house, and the kid. And I, I love my husband, and I love my house, and I love my kid. But I'm still stating publicly on this podcast that it's not enough for me. And I've had to go through a real dark night of the soul to be able to admit that to myself because all the messages I receive are be grateful for what you have, don't complain, be satisfied, and you're selfish for wanting more. And I felt that way. And I was like a savage wreck when I could finally see that I needed more for myself because I felt like I was broken or wrong for thinking that. I just felt like I should be grateful for what I've got and I should zip my lip and I should just kind of like put my head down and just just go for it and just kind of slog on this life. And the reason that I bring all of this up is I, I, I guess we're all airing our dirty laundry on this episode. I don't know. Yes, um, yes we are. <laughs> get, get it out there. <laughs> but, but also because we're asking the question, why are we emotionally eating, right? Why are we doing this to ourselves? And, and maybe it's because deep down inside, we are unfulfilled or dissatisfied with our lives. Maybe we emotionally eat because we're not living our authentic life. There's that word again, mm-hmm. meaning we're not living the life we truly want. We've created a list of reasons of why we can't do the things we want to do. And then we live by those reasons as though they're rules. We eat for pleasure and excitement because we're lacking pleasure and excitement in our lives. And I think it's really hard for us to realize that there might be some unrest in our lives, right? To acknowledge that there might be some void somewhere. And if it starts to surface up, if that void starts to kind of like creep up and we start to acknowledge it, we immediately feel bad, we feel guilty, and we feel ungrateful. And I think it can make us feel really anxious and confused. And then we start to use food as a balm to settle down that anxiousness. Because ultimately, eating food is easier than looking at the problem. And I remember, Alicia, one time you told me that you were eating ice cream every single night because you were filling a void in your life. And I'm really curious to hear you you talk about, like, how did you figure that out, right? How did you learn that you were using food to fit in what you maybe didn't even know you were missing? And for the people out there that are listening that this might be resonating with, once you do figure out what's missing, how do you cultivate that? Because, it, you know, awareness is one thing, but then like, how do you go out and get that? And then what might happen to the emotional eating if you if you are able to do that? I am, I'm so glad that we're talking about this because it's such a huge topic and it's affecting so many of us. So it's the idea of what happens when we have it all and it's not what we wanted or it's not what we expected and how do we acknowledge that to ourselves, let alone like the other people in our lives. This is, this is a huge deal and many of us are struggling with this in one capacity or another. Um, So I love that you've brought this up. And I also love that you brought up the ice cream story um, because that really was a hugely pivotal point in my life. So I will 
I will air my dirty laundry now. Do it. Yes. Put it out there. Um, So I was pregnant with my second child during this time in my life. And I um, was somewhere in the second trimester. And I remember that because I don't know if everyone knows that's listening, but the second trimester is like, it's the sweet spot. So you are over like your nausea of the first trimester and you're not yet like, this huge mass of a human being and feeling really uncomfortable. Oh, and you're super horny. Brandy. So I don't know what that is exactly. I mean, it's hormones, but this is a very common thing that I have talked with my um, fellow mom friends about is that the second trimester, these hormones just come raging in and you want sex all the time. So that was definitely my experience. So I was in this place And yet my husband at the time had very little interest in me sexually. And what I didn't know then was that he was actually struggling with his own gender identity, which is another very long and very interesting story, Um, but not for this podcast per se. So I was dealing with this issue, though, in my marriage and feeling really unwanted and undesired and so rather than dealing with that rather than confronting my spouse and really figuring out what was going on I would just sit on the couch every night and eat this giant bowl of mint chocolate chip ice cream and at this time that wasn't even a hugely unusual response for me so I was definitely even though I was coaching still at the time like I was still taking part in emotional eating because I was eating away these emotions. I still had things going on in my life that I wasn't dealing with. So even though there were a lot of times when I had this similar experience, for some reason, this time became the most obvious to me. I wanted to have sex. I wanted to connect with my partner and to have intimacy. And when that wasn't happening, I chose to eat. And so this pattern that was going on really continued on and off for the next few years as my marriage dissolved. And a big part of that problem, why it went on so long, was that I was completely containing these issues, meaning from the outside, we still looked like the perfect family. But on the inside, it was nothing like I was representing it to be. And this is the truth about emotional eating, too. So we don't invite company over and eat half a sheet cake while standing in our kitchen crying, (laughs) right? We don't? We don't, but we do that in private, right? Mm -hmm. The secrecy of it is what gives it that power. I mean, it's just what Aaron said at the beginning. It's like we feel shame for not having the perfect life, and then we feel guilty for how we respond to that. And so the cycle just keeps perpetuating itself so you ask like how someone could realize that they're using food as this band-aid basically as this medication and once they realize that what can they do about it and so I think really the biggest thing is just allowing ourselves to be vulnerable with the support people in our lives and whether that's family a coach a therapist whoever that safe person is just fess up Like there was such a freedom in me in falling apart. And that was hands down the scariest thing I've ever done to fall apart, to admit that my life was a mess, that my marriage was over, that my husband was transitioning to live as a woman. 
and that I had absolutely no idea what my future was going to look like. But the thing is about falling apart, the thing is that when you strip away all that clutter of what I thought that my life was supposed to look like, it gave me the space and the honesty to create the life I really wanted, to be the person that I really wanted to be, that perfectly imperfect person. So I'm not saying that everyone's life needs to implode the way mine did, because mine went off with a big boom. But I'm saying to allow yourself to get real, even if that feels messy. Because I would say that emotional eating is no longer a part of my life, because there's nothing that I'm covering up anymore. I don't have to use food as that bomb of comfort it's just not necessary. If I have an issue, I can I can put it out there. I can be a mess and be okay with that. Whoa. Um, yeah. I just, I think that it's so awesome that you could do that, especially as a mom to two young kiddos. Because we are taught as women, but especially as moms, that we need to put everyone else's needs and their comfort levels above our own. It's yeah. like, the way that I, I, I feel like it is, it's like you can either be selfish and do what you want to do and you do what you need to do, or you can be a good mom. Like it's an either or situation. And we're just kind of expected to juggle it all. And because of this, moms end up putting themselves in the back burner, right? Like Right. Well, and I feel like I realized that like if I didn't make a big change, if I didn't allow myself to fall apart, I was not going to be, to be able to successfully parent my children like it was sort of like I had to look at it as like a long-term goal because I knew that I was a mess and I knew that I wasn't really helping them the way that I wanted to and I knew that in order to get to that place the place where I am now the solid foundation that I have for parenting I had to just fall apart and be like all right kids this is going to be a rough ride, you know, but we're going to get <laughs> buckle through. up. But uh, seriously, I was like, buckle up because here we go. And and it worked out, you know, it was a sort of a risk, I guess. But I feel like, you know, as, as moms, you're spot on, like every the world rests on our shoulders. And it's, it's intimidating and exhausting and overwhelming at times. I'm just so glad that other women listening can hear that. Whether you're a mom or not, I think that's an important message to, to drive home. And I mean, I would argue that it was probably riskier to not do that and to just kind of like, yeah. you know, to just like put your head down, put your head in the sand and just get on with your life. Um, but I think it's important for people to know that it's okay to do what you need to do in order to get your mind right, in order to get your life right. Like this is the one chance we've got, folks. Like, so make sure you're happy and stop putting everybody else's happiness above your own. That is such bullshit and I'm so sick of it and I'm calling it out. And to really like pull it full circle back to this emotional eating piece, I also think we go so hard all day long, right? Going, going, going that the only time we really have to ourselves is that like nighttime, right? You tuck the kids in or, you know, even if kids aren't in the mix, like you just get home from a long day of work and you crash. It's like this sacred gift. And I think we can use food as a reward for like, you know, you just worked your ass off, lady. Like, you know, get into that ice cream. Like your survival reward. Your survival <laughs> reward. Exactly. Yeah. But if we can like create opportunities to honor ourselves and our needs and sort of reward ourselves throughout the day just for, 
you know, just for being alive, maybe we don't need to lean so heavily on that, that nighttime binge that I know is so common for so many, so many people. And, you know, you had said to, to be vulnerable with the people in your life that are support system. If you don't feel that you have that support system, if you don't feel like you can be vulnerable with the people in your life, then seek out somebody, whether it is a coach or, you know, like a therapist or whatever you like, you need that, you need that release. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, I feel like we should title this episode, like us (laughs) when we all aired our dirty laundry. And (laughs) I I think it's amazing to be able to do that, but exactly to your point, um, that's not always comfortable for people, but it is important. So even if you aren't ready to, you know, shout it from the rooftops or on a podcast, you know, <laughs> get get a therapist or find somebody that you can talk to and just kind of unload on. Um, Alicia, you've said in a blog post before that sometimes self-love is about tearing down your own walls instead of bubble baths and affirmations. Sometimes it's about setting boundaries with others and making space for yourself. You also noted that sometimes we can completely lose track of what it is we even want because we're so disconnected from ourselves. And you teach workshops showing women how to feel more empowered and how to create space and use tools to establish a more honest relationship with themselves. And we hear this word empowerment a lot. So I actually looked up the definition and it said empowerment is the, <laughs> I know, I just like needed to. Webster's Dictionary defines your <laughs> dictionary, says. Um, <laughs> empowerment is the authority or power given to someone to do something. It's the process of becoming stronger and more confident, especially in controlling one's life. And I think the trick here is first figuring out how to have a more honest relationship with yourself, because when you feel that authority and power to do something, that's great. But a lot of us are so disconnected from ourselves that with all the outside noise and the messages that we've lost track of what it is we truly want and what makes us happy. So how can we learn to be more honest with ourselves about what we want without all the fear and shame and insecurities that cause us to become more and more disconnected from our deepest desires? And what are some of the ways that we can get reconnected to ourselves so that we can feel more empowered over our choices, our our health, and our life? You're, I mean, you're totally right. There are there are so many messages that are coming at us every day about how we should look, uh, what we should eat, how our relationships should function. I mean, hashtag relationship goals, hashtag oh, yes. perfect body. I mean, it's it's everywhere. We're bombarded with this information and it can really cloud our sense of self to the point, like you said, that we don't even know what we want. So in this workshop that you mentioned, I, I have this workshop called Set Free Your Inner Goddess, and it revolves around this idea of reestablishing that connection to, to self. Your primary relationship has to be your relationship with self. And just like any other relationship, if you're not putting energy into it, you're not going to get very much out of it. So this gives women the platform and the tools to remember that they're worthy of time, attention, and love. It has to be that priority or when we're feeling burnt out, it's going to affect 
every other area of our lives. It's interesting, though, because I see a lot of women that they don't even know what they need. And I'm not saying that as a judgment at all. I'm saying it as an indicator of how far removed we've become from ourselves. When I ask clients, what would you like to do for yourself? What feels really nourishing to you? And they just look at me and they don't know. That's huge. I mean, that's that's really a call for more emphasis on the importance of knowing yourself. How are we supposed to take care of ourselves if we're not even really sure what it is that we like and need? So the point you brought up is sometimes it's not just that we don't know. It's also that piece of sometimes we have feelings of fear or shame or insecurities around our desires. So I always point this out in my workshop, and I know, Erin, we've talked about it before, and Kyle, you mentioned it earlier in sort of how you dealt with your process of your divorce, is that idea of binge-watching bad TV as self-care. <laughs> yes. Yeah, And that's great. Like, who gets to say what is restorative to you? And I know for a lot of us that have, like, those busy brains, I'll call it, like the brain that just doesn't want to shut off, sometimes watching some crappy TV is exactly what you need just to shut off all that talking and just let it be quiet and let your body and your mind rest for a little while. So the idea of self-care is really, it's just about listening to yourself. It's about following that guidance, whatever it might be. And sometimes it's about doing things that do scare you. So when I was first going through my divorce, I hated being alone in public so that's like different like being alone in my bedroom I was comfortable with but being alone in a public space made me really uncomfortable so that's things like going to dinner by myself or like being at a park by myself and I'm not really sure why it made me so uncomfortable it was definitely like I think that I would just, my brain would start going and there were so many things to worry about at the time. But as part of my self-care in really to get to a stronger sense of who I was, I forced myself to do that. Like I would just go everywhere by myself and I wouldn't bring a book and I wouldn't bring anything and I would just go and I would be. And for a while I would assume that everyone was staring at me and that they, you know, knew that. I was like this terrible person because at the time that was sort of how I was feeling. And, you know, as time went on, I was that just disappeared. It was like that fear just I was like, why was that even a fear? You know, what was what was that? And so I feel like sometimes it's about sometimes it's about just doing the things that feel really good in the moment. And then other times it's about sort of pushing yourself into something that feels like that you have a little bit of trepidation from um, so I feel like I have absolutely seen a shift in my clients and in myself personally in how I relate to food and to my body after doing this sort of work. It's like, it's like this sigh of relief. You mean I can love myself exactly as I am? I can feel sexy at this weight. I can feel good about my sagging breasts. I can feel good about all of this that's going on here. Like, I could stop looking in the mirror and finding a million flaws. It's so liberating. It's so liberating, and it changes a lot. So 
really the foundation, and it's again one of those words that I think tends to be overused, but the foundation of self-love is really like where that relationship starts with yourself, is really that ability to just have that deep love. And when you do, all those other pieces start to fade away. All the pieces of concern and, and the food stuff, it just sort of naturally plays its course when you feel really good about who you are and you just trust that you're a good person. Yeah. Wow. I love that distinction too between what might be self-care and self-love because I think now because we're so burnt out and we're so maxed out that self-care has sort of become this like trendy consumable product right Mm -hmm. another thing to Uh, do another thing to add to your never-ending to-do list another thing to be good at and I just Mm -hmm. think that like a culture in which self-care needs to be sold to us is a really sick culture and something needs to change, right? It is not – I think true self-care is everything we've just talked about in this podcast. It is evaluating your relationship to your life, your relationship to yourself, your relationship to food perhaps, your relationship to other people, and creating a life that you don't need to regularly escape from or regularly check out from or numb yourself to. It is like going into like the messy stuff and digging it up and be willing to to come undone quite frankly. Yeah. No, it's I that's totally totally true. And I I hear that a lot in my workshop people say, "Well, self-care is too expensive." And I'm like, "Okay, so you're it's but that's looking at it from that sort of commercial side of self-care, right?" Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, you're like you don't you need the $30 to, candle. You know, or like, you know, I mean, massages are great, but like you don't have to get it. That's not the only way, you know, to get self-care. It's like we look at like we have these you know, yoga class subscriptions, we have massages, we have um, candles, we have bath bombs, we have, I mean, it goes on and on and on. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with any of those things. But that should money should never be the obstacle to how we care for ourselves. Like that should never be a part of the equation. Yeah, self care is almost I, I know on social media, it's it's kind of like, it can be another veil for people to hide their mess under, Mm -hmm. you know, like you just, you make the perfect bubble bath and you take it in and, and you take the perfect picture. picture. Yeah. Yeah. And then everyone's like, wow, they're really relaxed. Like they're really, they're self-caring so hard, you know? And meanwhile, they're like crying in the freaking tub, like pounding Cheetos. It's like, you just don't see it all. You don't see it. No, you're right. And, And that's the thing. And I feel like, you know, we have mentioned social media a number of times here, kind of indifferent. And it, it can be, that can be a tricky platform because it's sort of, we're like told to present ourselves in this certain way and Aaron I love your posts I just have to say that you are like you're so honest I love like the pictures of of Hattie just like on the ground like you know like (laughs) just crying in the middle of a store or like you know it's just like that ability to just like be real or like post a picture of yourself that you don't feel like is super flattering but there's something you love about it or just whatever you know just like just letting the real stuff be out there and being okay with that and that's it takes some time it's not like an overnight process but it's really liberating when you get to that point for sure 
So I think that, you know, the, the self-love thing is it's really the ticket in, right? It is the, yeah. if you're dealing with emotional eating, if you're dealing with an eating disorder, that like, that's the way through it. And I will also say as somebody who has a chronic disease, that is the, that is the healing. It is not, yeah. you know, as much as, you know, I'm a nutritionist, as much as I love tweaking the diet and taking the supplements and doing all the functional labs, like if you don't, you, you have you have to love yourself throughout the process in order to heal whatever it might be. But I think that's sort of like, like what's, how do you do that? Like how, what is the self-love? Like step one to self-love. <laughs> well, I think it's, it's different for everyone, right? I mean, that's part of the problem is that, you know, we don't, we don't necessarily know where to begin. And so I think that, you know, I can speak for myself a huge part of my kind of beginning journey on self-love was like a lot of journaling because it was like a platform where I could be honest about how I was feeling. And yet it wasn't public. It wasn't something that I was taking like to the streets. It was just sort of this, this kind of just mind running journaling that I did for a long period of time where I just got all those like I'd say like gross thoughts, I would call them like at the time, it was like all the things that I felt like were wrong with myself or my life. And it's funny, because sometimes you do have to like unload that before you can get to the good stuff, right? So it's like having that level of honesty of what's not working and being able to just like, you know, spew that out onto a page or onto a therapist or onto whoever. And then build from that like cleaner space because I I do feel like as long as we're like holding all that negativity inside of us it's hard to love ourselves it is it's like it's a battle because you're like battling against good and evil inside of you right yeah so it's like I think to me that is the first step like the first step is like getting kind of gross with it and like just getting it out like letting all those deep dark parts of you like out onto paper out to someone and just like being able to sigh that relief because you know what it's never as bad as you think you know you're I feel like when we can get really honest with ourselves it's like we realize that the things that we're hiding from don't have as much power over us as we thought they did yeah that is so 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 true and journaling is my like number one like since I was a little kid that is like my that is my favorite thing to do. Um, yeah, maybe not every my single, favorite. But every time I go like and journal, important. I'm like, I just can't. I I I can't slow down my thoughts enough mm-hmm. to keep up with how slow my writing is. So this yeah. is like, this is like exactly what we're saying. Like, it's not going to look the same for everyone. Mm-hmm. Like, if if you don't like journaling, if you love journaling, if you hate taking baths, if you love taking baths, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, it's just going to look different for everyone. And I think that's that's the thing with social media is you just see see what's working for other people. You see, it's same with food. You know, well, this diet worked for them, so like, you know, I'll try that. You know, without ever really thinking about. Well, what what's gonna really work for you and and your life and and what's gonna make you happy and and more at peace so yeah like what do I even want what do I even want get to that find that you know it's like about finding what that is and um and I feel like you know and there is something to be said about connecting with others too, connecting with like-minded people connecting with women I mean something amazing happens 
when you get a group of women together. And even if they're just like, it's like when they're, they're there to support each other, when they're there to like not judge each other, it just like, there's something really amazing and healing that happens in that. And so I definitely, I do see in my, in my workshops, like I see that beginning, like sort of peeling layers that people start to experience when they just feel seen and supported and loved and not judged. And it's like, it sort of gives them the space. So I feel like there's also power in that in like, in connecting with women, just connecting with each other. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of your workshop, why don't you tell us the next one that you've got going on so people people can check yeah, it out? Awesome. So the next one I'm doing, so it's, it's called again, Set Free Your Inner Goddess. And the next time I'm doing it is at Oceanside Physical Therapy, which is in Stratum, New Hampshire. Um, this is a physical therapy office that specializes in pelvic disorders or and pelvic issues, pelvic health. So there's a lot of women there uh, already who are coming um, to, you know, to work on their bodies and, and everything that goes along with that. Um, so this is going to be on May 19th. And it's from 10 a.m. to noon. So this is the first actual daytime one that I've done. Normally, I do them like sort of like a nighttime party. Um, <laughs> but I feel like this is going to be great. And it's going to be sort of a different um, group of people. So that's on a Saturday in May, May 19th. And if you want to register for that or get more details, you can go to my website. And that's my full name. So it's aliciajoystyles.com. And I have all the details for it on there. We'll make sure to link to that in the show awesome. notes. And that is also your handle on Instagram, correct? Yes, Alicia Joy Styles. Yep. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, that was an amazing show, Alicia. Thank you so much for coming Thank on. You, ladies. We Thank really you. appreciate it. Yeah. And amazing. You guys go check out Alicia's work. You will not be disappointed. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you got something from today's show, don't forget, subscribe, leave a review, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Take care of you.